Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We've been conditioned to imagine that aging is something you should do because you want to live for a long time, but looking old, no, because it makes you less attractive. Mostly, again, through the eyes of cis-het men. How you doing? Welcome to Figuring Out 30. This is a podcast exploring the chaos, confusion and clarity that comes with entering our 30s. I'm Bridget Husway. It's so nice to be back with you. And I guess due to, I don't know, like semi-popular demand. When I say semi, I mean like my humble following on the Figuring Out 30 Instagram page that I recently launched. Um, Firstly, did you know that you can actually reply to episodes on Spotify? Like if you leave Uh, If you have a comment or a question, you can actually submit it to the episode that you're listening to via Spotify and the podcast creator will see it. That's what I've recently discovered. And I had a lovely person named Heather leave a comment within the last week. And she said that um, she enjoyed hearing about my week before I dive into the chats with the people that I have on the podcast. And, you know, if, if you've been listening along, you would have heard in earlier episodes that I would, yeah, kind of start each one talking about what I've been up to and stuff, but I just didn't think anyone cared about it. So I stopped. (laughs) And then I did a little poll on my Instagram and it suggested otherwise. So I guess I'll give you a really quick catch up on my week before we get into this conversation that I've had, which by the way, is such an amazing conversation. Like as I was just listening back and kind of tidying it up a little bit, just doing a little bit of editing, I was like, damn, I got a lot out of this conversation with April Helene Horton, a.k.a. the Bodzilla. So as you can probably see from the title and the said name, this episode is about body image and our relationship with our bodies, which, you know, obviously changes throughout our life, but how it evolves in our 30s and what we're currently exposed to. So we're going to be diving into that. I'll tell you more about it in a second. But yes, it's been a fucking busy week for me, my friend. Let me tell you, it's also been a really kind of emotional week like I'll quickly tell you what I did first so I was so lucky I got to fly to Darwin for a couple of days with tourism NT so they actually hit me up last year about going on a trip and sharing some content on socials but I wasn't permitted to do it um, under the ABC editorial policy so I had to decline but then now that I don't work at the ABC and I'm a, a free woman I'm a free agent of sorts I yeah got to do it this year and I got to do it with my friend Alex Dyson who you may also know formerly of Triple J he has a listener podcast with uh, Matt O'Kine so Matt and Alex and yeah we're good mates so we and it's funny because we've had a bit of traveling experience together like we got to hang out in Vegas last year and now we've done Darwin together and yeah he's just a good time to be around he's also great at taking photos like you know how they say boyfriends of Instagram he's obviously not my boyfriend um, but he's like 
good male friend of Instagram who can take some epic shots. So you can always rely on Daiso to pull through um, in content creation assistance. But yeah, we got to go to Darwin. Oh God, it was such a beautiful, be such a beautiful time. I just have core memories, so many core memories of us zipping around in a helicopter. We got to swim in a waterfall. I've never done that and I'm not a swimmer. I was doggy paddling around waterfall, but just sitting at the bottom of a waterfall. I've never experienced that. And it was really, it was a little bit scary, not going to lie, because again, not the best swimmer, but it was a really liberating. um, It was just a memory that I know I'm going to remember for Evs. And we went to Base in the Grass, which was an amazing music festival. I adored the the layout of it and the lineup was great it's my ideal festival it was right next to the beach as well and we got to swim in an infinity pool and have frozen daiquiris and frozen canadian club like a canadian club slushy sleigh it was delicious so amazing time in darwin and then i quickly zipped home to melbourne for a night and then flew to sydney where i currently am i'm working with warner music on some stuff which is so nice to still you know stay in touch with the music side of presenting interview artists but i've also had a couple of fun meetings on some stuff that i can't talk like sorry to be that person but it's stuff that i can't really talk about at this point but it's related to me um talking and exploring stuff thinking out loud i guess so exciting professional meetings and i also went to the premiere of the little mermaid the australian premiere of that movie Halle bailey was there who plays ariel she is a star you if you've seen the trailer you hear her perform part of your world oh my god goosebumps and melissa mccarthy who's ursula so she was in attendance as well it was yeah a cool experience it was pretty chaotic not gonna lie like the setting so it was at the state theater in sydney and the seating situation like it was a fucking free for all like you didn't have reserved seats everyone was just trying to find a seat and it was a little bit chaotic because people were saving seats throwing handbags on and then going to the bar or whatever and people were split up and like could be worse but also maybe could have been a little bit more organized anyway it was really fun and yeah big week but it's been a week that's really solidified the choices that I've made recently in my life, like making the decision to quit my full-time job. And again, quitting a job and not going to another full-time job, just like quitting and figuring it out. And it's it's worked out. It is currently working out. And I feel, yeah, I feel really, I guess I feel proud without sounding cringe, but I do feel proud of myself and I just am feeling I'm feeling a lot of things like this is you know this is what I want to be doing and the things that I will be working on are things that I want to be working on um sometimes you just yeah it really pays to trust your gut and follow your instinct and if something doesn't feel right taking that leap and I'm so lucky that I've been able to do that and it is currently paying off so Yeah, I'm feeling a lot of things at the moment, but let's get into this conversation. And this episode kind of follows on nicely from the previous one with Laura Henshaw, where we're talking about toxic diet culture trends. And it got me thinking a bit more about body image and just what I'm seeing out in social media right now and how it makes me feel as a 32-year-old woman. So I wanted to hit up someone who has carved such a powerful, important platform to talk about body image and body positivity and doing so in a really honest and frank way, which is exactly what we need. And that is the Bodzilla, aka April Helene Horton. You may most recently have seen her appear on the projects as part of their kind of body image panel discussion. And she spoke directly to Michelle Bridges from The Biggest Loser. We're going to 
unpack the aftermath of that, I guess, and what the response has been for April because she was very honest to Michelle in how The Biggest Loser made her feel growing up and how that kind of impacted her own relationship with her body. We also talk about Fashion Week because April is dialing into this convo from her hotel room in Sydney as part of Fashion Week. We talk about fucking Skinny Me Tea because I've made more discoveries about that brand in the last week, which have really pissed me off. <laughs> and also things like how anti-aging is like the sister of diet culture, the way in which motherhood has also influenced April's relationship with her body, which is quite powerful. And also the Lululemon item that made April cry. This was, as I've already mentioned, such an amazing conversation. Like I really enjoyed talking to April and I got so much out of it, so I hope you do too. And if you want to find more from April, I will definitely throw her Instagram handle in the show notes of this episode. I highly recommend following her content because she's putting out some really amazing stuff. But yeah, let's get into it. It's Figuring Out 30 with the Bodzilla. April, thank you very much for joining me. Welcome to Figuring Out 30. You're coming from Fashion Week, a busy week in Sydney. How how are we feeling there at the moment? Yeah, it's good. It is busy. Uh, where I'm staying is a bit of a hub. Uh, the the lobby slash bar was very busy and full of the chicest people I've ever seen in the life. Um, and many youthful people. I was like, God, I feel old. Um, Do you? Oh, I felt so old in a room full of people dressed in such, you know, they had really fashionable makeup, beautiful clothes, all like just moving with this most incredible grace and looking so youthful. And I was like, my goodness, I cannot relate to that at all. (laughs) (laughs) How do you feel about Fashion Week? And like, what was your perception of it growing up? Because it is an interesting thing. I've never attended and I've always watched from afar. And, uh, you know, it can prompt a bit, I I guess, those feelings. Like, I just know I wouldn't fit in. Like, what's your relationship with Fashion Week? I think last year was the first time. uh, So last year was the first time I'd come to Fashion Week. And I think before last year, my feelings about Fashion Week, whether it be Australian Fashion Week, uh, any of the other Fashion Week events across Australia or the world, um, is kind of like, oh, well, that's obviously not for me because didn't feel represented there, didn't feel like I was welcome there. So last year uh, there were there were a group of brands, uh, both modelling agency and um apparel brands who got together to create the curve edit so that was a runway dedicated to uh plus sized clothing and plus size models and so for me that felt like a really beautiful you know it was super special and so many of my friends from um the curve and plus size community uh were there with me and we were like this is so incredible it was a there was a notable absence of a curve runway this year and obviously there's lots of factors in that that I won't I can't kind of know what the reason is for that I can only assume that it just wasn't you know right for the people who put it together last year um but you know and I'd be really interested to know I think why we're not seeing that as a thing once established why do we not always have that at every mm. at every fashion week event regardless of where it's being held and I've seen some people sharing some content that shows diversity at certain shows from diverse brands that I think you kind of know what you're going to see from certain brands. Um, uh, probably a, a not a not an unpleasant surprise 
to see the opening day was full of very, very slim and um, small sized models um, because I do think that's a concerning trend in fashion that, you know, the rise of uh, the the slim body as the ideal again is concerning for everyone, Fuck not just, me. yeah, not just for I'm fat so people. keen to talk about that with you. Yeah. I don't know if we'll get into it. Maybe I'll, I'll put it on pause for now because I, I definitely want to really go in on that because I didn't know if I was just like yep. thinking that, <laughs> but there's just a lot of things popping up right now that are taking me back to the early noughties and growing up as a teenager then and like it just I'm yeah we'll talk about it in a second (laughs) Um, but glad I'm not alone there Uh, what I wanted to quickly ask you as well how are you going after the um the project appearance because that was such a huge response and such an important panel discussion about what it means to be healthy and I'm you know, applaud you for the way in which you were able to confront Michelle Bridges, but you did it in such a, you know, such a great way. And I think it it probably took from you because, you know, you mentioned to her how um, The Biggest Loser was really traumatic for you growing up and had a huge, you know, impact on your life. How do you pull, like, how do you address something like that, that has had a really devastating impact but um, it almost like, I don't know if you had some, com- like, was there compassion? Were you trying to lean into a bit of compassion in the way that you addressed? How the fuck do you do that, <laughs> essentially? Uh, you know, I've had a lot of people say, you know, that they feel like they could never come into that conversation and then speak to her and with her and with the rest of the people in the conversation in the way that I did. And I think that that's something that I suppose is why and how I do what I do I care a lot and I care enough about saying things that need to be said that I'm willing to put myself in the front line and in the in the kind of danger zone in terms of I know that that conversation attracted a lot a lot of negative comments or p- people who support the mindset that Michelle Bridges always kind of put out there of you know thin is best thin is healthy um you know and and that you should punish yourself um if if you're not either doing the most um, to be the thin ideal or if, you know, um, someone in your life is not thin, you should discourage them from being happy with themselves. Uh, and I think that that narrative is so harmful for, for everyone and that's not just about someone who's in a bigger body like mine or, you know, the bigger body that I've been in, um, in, in my life. But I think the idea that I could have a conversation with someone and that person be looking into my eyes while I'm trying to tell them something really like and you're right like I I kind of laugh at the word confront when it's used by media outlets oh you know body positive activist confronts Michelle Bridges and I'm like I don't don't." make it sound very aggressive and it's like you actually there's a panel discussion yeah I didn't like (laughs) grab her by the scruff of the neck and be like oi um you know and there there were people in my dms being like listen I would (laughs) have fair um rage is valid and I think that it's it would be wrong of us to say oh we should be polite all the time But my goal is to attract people into the conversation. And you don't do that by being ragey and being, um, you know, hyper anything. You know, if people can characterise you as being fanatical or savage or over the top, it it kind of, it makes your message sound ridiculous. It doesn't actually add value to the conversation. I think being characterised, and especially as a person of colour, I'm characterized instantly as they expect me to come in there with snapping fingers and head head moves and these kinds of tropes that they attribute to all people of color because so many people don't understand about the cultural differences between um, different different groups of people. But um, I think that 
the idea that I would come into that conversation, speak calmly, honestly, frankly, makes people go, oh, I'm so surprised at that behavior that I think I have to listen. And I'm like, job Job done. done. Because that's, that's what I need. I need to, there are going to be people always who live firmly in the camp of April's wrong. What April thinks is wrong. I don't want to listen to her. I fully agree with the kind of rhetoric that was coming out of shows like The Biggest Loser 17 years ago. And I have no interest in changing my opinion. Great. Well then have a great life because I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to know about you. There is a large group of people who don't know what they think. I said this to Michelle, it didn't make it to air, but I said to Michelle, there are lots of people who don't know what their opinions are. They go to, first it used to be television, it used to be magazines, it used to be newspapers, the radio, to find out what their opinion is. And now it's social media. And, And now it's social media and you can upload your opinion, good, bad or otherwise, in real time and have people jump onto it and adopt it as their own. So I think that there's a significant amount of power and responsibility for uh, white women in the fitness industry or in the wellness industries or in, you know, the conversation around body image. They are directly responsible for what they tell people who look like them because those people are the ones who've lived for so long in this conversation of what bodies are good and what bodies are bad and push that message out onto the people around them. I know that people in my life, especially growing up, you know, that show was on when I was 21-ish in some, you know, really early years of my life, um, that there were people in my life who probably felt bad about the way they looked because of that show and because of, you know, who wore it better or uh, Samantha Armitage's underpants on the front of the Daily Mail and all of the ways that the media, whether that be, you know, um, traditional media, social media, talked about women's bodies uh they felt bad about themselves and the way that most people I find make themselves feel better is to look at other people and go well at least I'm not whatever this person is and so the damage that gets done by people who don't even realize that they're part of it they've been sucked into this diet culture cult and they share their thoughts about their own bodies in a way that I go but do you realize when you're saying about your you know, your, your body that can walk into almost any shop and buy clothes, how much you hate it, how much it embarrasses you, how much you wish you could change it. And then I'm like, oh, well, I'd hate to hear what you think about me or even even better, yeah. the way that people will talk openly about how they what they think about mm. people they don't like. Yeah. There are lots of people in conversations, you know, and I think Michelle came to that conversation with what felt like a slightly changed viewpoint. And I don't know how much of her viewpoint is formed by becoming a mother. I don't know how much of her viewpoint has has authentically changed um, because of people she knows or people she's interacted with in conversations like that one. I wouldn't assume that that one conversation changed her viewpoint completely. I think that there's a real chance that the people who see that segment will see that and go, oh, Michelle Bridges has really changed her opinion and then think, oh, I should change my opinion. So the follow through for that has to be that we see those authentic conversations continuing. You can't just go on one TV show, be nice to a person to their face. And then, you know, and this goes both ways, right? Like I think I tried to, like you you asked the question, did I come to that with compassion? Yes, I did. Because bo- negative body image affects everybody, any gender, any age, you know, but we know that the significant proportion of people who are affected um, are usually young people, especially uh, women or non-cis men. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's it's reasonable for us to think 
if you're going to say, oh, yeah, I agree with you, April, or like I'm hearing what you're saying or um, understanding that The Biggest Loser was an awful, awful time and that lots of the contestants and the other people who worked on that show have spoken out about what a difficult time it was, you don't get to fix that with one conversation and I can't imagine that my contribution to that was, you know, life-changing for everyone. But if it helps start the conversation, if it helps someone see that their feelings about that show are validated because lots of people in the comments are oh, as if you'd be so traumatized by a TV show. I'm like, well, clearly you, you, you didn't experience that. I'm happy for you. Must be nice. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that, um, it's important to hold everyone in those conversations to account for what they're now responsible for ongoing to make a real change. Yeah. And I think what you mentioned, it's so important that follow through and you can tie it back to fashion week as well. Like how you mentioned the absence of, um, you know, curvy models in this week's, you know, edition and whatnot. Um, yeah, it's so important to actually be like, okay, now what, now what What are those things that we're going to do moving forward to keep it effective and consistent? As you said, um, the accountability, yeah, is a huge thing. I'm coming to you. So I'm feeling real. I'm feeling some sort of way this morning, right? I had Laura Henshaw on the previous episode of Figuring Out 30 and we spoke about the um, toxic diet culture trends that we were exposed to. And one of them was skinny me tea. I don't know if you recall it, but I spoke to her about it. And then this morning I actually looked up the the account because I was like surely it hasn't been active since 2013 because like how does that exist in 2023 um and I'm I don't know if I'm surprised but like I am feeling more emotions than what I probably anticipated because that was a really fucked up thing <laughs> entering my 20s and how many people were taking it and it was so glorified and I'm baffled that this brand this company is still operating in 2023 they've you know they now go under just smt how do you feel about that kind of <laughs> brand still having a space in 2023 because I, I then went to see a video of the founder and it was glorified that she made like a million dollars in like six months or whatever and there was a, only one comment in the section was like oh is anyone not going to acknowledge the absolute responsibility this brand literally was at the forefront of disordered eating in the 2010s yeah. like I can't believe that this is still a thing in 2023 like I'm shaking talking about it and I just wanted to get it out of the way with you like how yeah. does it still exist in 2023 and this is the thing like I, I first of all it's so disturbing because we've got a hot, you know, every year we've got new young people entering a phase of their life where they're concerned about their body image because we know body image concerns affect children as young as four, but we also know that although we can't monitor everything they do, that real trend into owning social media um, accounts and devices that they can access uh, the internet through, that those kind of older children, you know, the um, kind of 10 to 13 group where they're in that really vulnerable stage, you know, I know that we were affected by brands like that. I mean, that one particularly, the chokehold that that brand had on every every girl I knew, I was kind of like, I feel like tea's not strong enough for what I've got going on. <laughs> um, you know, I was very big, like a lot bigger than all of the people I went to school with. And those people, when I look at them, I'm like, you were like a size, you know, 12 or whatever. You were literally the most average, like, you know, healthy body shape, size, whatever. Like, you know, I'm, I'm really not the kind of person to assign health to a size, but understanding that children and young adults, adolescents at that age, like that's right. I think, you know, that growth and that your height, weight, whatever, you look great. 
you are great, everything's fine. And I think that the idea that this brand can still prey on vulnerable children is horrifying. And and I definitely, you know, I felt a sense of, you know, unabashed glee at hearing that Jenny Craig was going bankrupt. I was like, you love to see it, frankly. Um, <laughs> like, you know, that's that's a win. That's a win for us, I feel. That's a slay. Slay, big slay. Um, and the thing is, you know, I had a couple of people who commented on something I posted about that who said, they'll just rebrand. They'll just go online. I was like, you know what, you're right. You are right. Like, yes, is it the downfall of an empire? Sure. But will a, a horrifying phoenix of terribleness rise from those ashes? Most likely. You know, I think when we see the way that, um, you know, we know that there are certain celebrity influencers who treat their bodies like trends. And I don't think we need to say the name for us to all know exactly who I'm talking about. And those people who um, follow them uh, kind of almost with no with no thought for what the reality is of, of their life versus life out here in the non-celebrity world, um, thinking that people like that were selling products like Skinny Me Tea, like, you know, they were selling the ideal of, you know, when we think about Emily Blunt in uh, The Devil Wears Prada talking about waiting until she was about to faint and eating a cube of cheese and that being their literal, my day on a plate is a cube of cheese, oh, right? Oh, like yeah. the, the the harm and the damage is everlasting and I, I think, you know, I feel for you that you would see that and feel so affected and I think there's no denying the significant psychological impact of something that, you know, at the time made you feel a certain way. And I think you're in such a vulnerable time of life when you're a teenager, you want to be cool. You want to be all the things with, with all your friends. You're in a cohort of highly critical, highly insecure people, because that's literally like being a teenager. If you're not wondering all the time, if you're good enough, I'm, I'm just not sure, like if you're doing it right. Um, you know, and that's the horrifying reality, I guess that skinny meaty and all of the other brands that are advertising on TikTok, some on Instagram, that still are taking out ads on online news sites so that when you're scrolling, just trying to read a story about whether or not Taylor is dating Maddie Healy, that's all I want to know. <laughs> I don't want to be interrupted with a graphic about how I can lose weight and my belly fat this and my blah, blah, 30 days, whatever the hell. So there, there's been no slowing down of that level of advertising. It's just that there has also been a significant wave of people being like, uh, yeah, I'm not really about this, but that it doesn't combat it. You know, if if Gwyneth and and other people in the industry, you know, especially people who purport to be in the business of wellness, are talking about the fact that they don't eat food, they just get injected with vitamins and minerals, I'm like, are you the cognitive dissonance? <laughs> To be able to talk about health and then say that. That sounds like this is how I survived in space, not this is how I make sure I'm the healthiest I can be. It's very much giving silver chair freak film <laughs> It's giving. And I'm like, what year did that what year did that song come out? 1998? Are we really back here again? Ah. Let's get into this, yeah, connection between girl boss culture and diet culture. And it was something that you just shared on your Instagram, the connection uh, that anti-aging is like the cousin of diet culture. So can we break that one down? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the amazing Louisa who left that comment that I kind of screenshot and shared with the post about Martha Stewart's recent uh, cover shoot was, you know, the, the message around that is the idea that 
anti-aging culture is the is the sister of of diet culture and i totally agree i think if you there is an interconnection between every single thing like if the common denominator is what is the type of social phenomenon that leaves out people who are not thin white rich uh cishet people uh who come from highly educated socioeconomic backgrounds uh and speak English as a first language, generally speaking. I think that that, that phenomenon of, of any, but especially anti-aging and diet culture, those are the things that we go, oh, yeah, I feel left out of that. I feel left out of that. And I feel left out of that. So I think those two things are directly related, girl boss culture and that hustle kind of side hustle, um, you know, fake it till you make it, toxic positivity, all of that. I'm like... Those things only apply if you have the privilege to be able to engage in that. You know, I think that there are going to be many, many people who experience, whether it's because of um, the socioeconomic pressures of being, you know, experiencing the cost of living in reality, not not the kind of cost of living where they're like, oh, my God, I can't afford the payments on my 47 investment properties. That's not what I'm talking about, you know. But the people who literally work two jobs to pay for education for their kids or to pay for their own education, which they do on top of working two jobs, and who experience a difficulty in breaking into uh, their employment uh, or uh, vocation of choice because they aren't able to get an interview because their name doesn't sound Aussie enough or whatever. You know, I think that we're guilty of glorifying the idea of looking young. I'm guilty of this. This is one of my like big things that I need to break my habit of being like, oh, but you don't look whatever age. And I'm like, what does that? I had a friend of mine, Nikki, the amazing Nikki Parkinson from Styling You. When I said to her, because we're talking about age and she, she said her age to me, and I was like, oh, but you don't look it. And she goes, what does that even mean? Mm. I was like, girl, you're right, because that doesn't. You don't look as old as I imagine that number to to be. That's it doesn't make any sense. And especially because we know that if she was a man, I would be like, yeah, daddy. Like that's that's the reality of it. You know, I think that people who are older than 40 are suddenly praised for looking like they're not what we think 40 looks like because in you know apparently being 40 is like sad and old and boring and I'm like well I'm nearly 40 so that's not true uh and I think that we've been conditioned to imagine that aging is something you should do because you want to live for a long time but looking old no because it makes you less attractive mostly again through the eyes of cis het men so I'm kind of like while I, I applaud the idea that we could, in theory, have someone on the front cover of a magazine who's 81 years old, that person is not celebrating their age. As I said to Louisa, um, you know, it, it, the rhetoric is where Martha Stewart's proud of being 81 because she thinks she does look it. And the idea that she would have attributed how she looks and how and other people would attribute the fact that she looks so good, read she looks slim, she looks buxom, she looks unwrinkled, she's got big hair, she's got, you know, youthful looking other attributes, her skin's glowing, whatever, that that kind of chasing youth, especially for women, is exactly what chasing slimness feels like for whoever that applies to. And I think that pursuing thinness, pursuing youthfulness, um, 
are two very similar things, things that can't be achieved by the everyday person uh, and things that when you when you ask yourself, why do I want this? The answer is because I want other people to think I look hot, mm-hmm. which is problematic. I want people to think I look hot, but most importantly, I want to think I look hot. Like I want to think that, oh, girl, you look good. Like I want to, I want to, I want to feel good about myself and have other people's opinion be second to that. And I think it's very clear when we celebrate Martha Stewart, yes, queen, ageless queen, uh, that we're what we're signaling to older people in our lives is you look like you should be put out with the rubbish because you're not hot like Martha Stewart. Yeah. And also she's rich as fuck, like the resources to look however she does. Like, yeah. yeah, Look, it's yeah, you're right. And I think that the unattainable standards, Yes, you know, you can achieve, you can probably just, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually want to do this experiment. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I like the idea of, you know, talking out the concept of if you just took a random person off the street and you said to them, I'm going to provide you with every resource to maintain a health and fitness regime that will allow you to have the body that feels ideal to you. I'm going to provide you with access to any kind of professional, whether that be skin professional, beauty, you know, um, industry experts, anything, and the clothing that will, you know, make you look and feel the way that you want to. That That is something that I feel like any actual human person could potentially achieve most of what Martha Stewart has done with the same resources as her. And but like, why would we want to? And I think that the way that we look at, you know, age and um, health, it's a real problem. I think the way that we moralize and value health is something that it doesn't matter if blah, as long as you're healthy. It's sort of like, well, some people are not healthy. Some people are chronically ill. Yep. Some people have regular appointments with their doctor to handle something that they didn't, you know, it just happened to them. It's not, um, you know, a moral failing. And the idea that we would, yeah, moralize the idea of health and say that Martha Stewart looks so healthy and youthful. Is it? Is it healthy? Because surely that that kind of, you know, we know that Martha's a big fan of uh, of smoking with Snoop Dogg and that kind of thing. And I just feel like I'm just not 100% sure that we want to model everything we do on the behaviours of a super rich white lady in America. Yeah, yeah. As you, unattainable is the key word there. It's just, and even what you mentioned, like just going back to the ageing thing too, I've seen, and it's going back to what I'm feeling triggered by lately, I've seen a 22-year-old influencer do paid partnership for anti-wrinkle injections and I'm like the procedures, I'm fine with the age in which this is being promoted, like a 22-year-old who has a significant following. If I was her age and I'm seeing that she's getting that, I'm going to think that I need that. Even um, Roxy Jasenko's daughter, Pixie, Pixie, 11 years old, unpacking the lip plumping. Again, lip plumping, it's not the product, it's the age in which this is being 
promoted and used. It just, I just think of when, if I'm a, if I'm an 11 year old, if I'm seeing her use it, I'm going to think that I need it. My first, uh, I guess my first thing with body image when I was in prep, so far, I was 1996, I was five years old. Cause I was, I started year early, a year early. I went home and asked to get my ears pinned back. And that was my first operation. I got my ears pinned back in grade one. And so I, this is like to see young people be exposed to this stuff. Like, am I being a bit extra here by being like a 22 year old should not be doing paid partnerships with anti-wrinkle injections what's going on in this world right now we're in this 2023 april i got a lot of feelings i know i I think the idea of preventative cosmetic procedures is derived directly from the idea of you know prevention is better than cure right so you'd rather get preventative botox than a facelift okay let's go one further why do you want a facelift Let's talk about it. Why do you want that? And if you want that, that makes you feel happy and it makes you feel fulfilled and you feel like that's the most important thing that you could do to make you feel the best that you can be. I'm so happy for you if you have access to that. But why do you feel like that? Because that, I don't have a problem with cosmetic intervention. It's your face, do what you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your body, do what you want. And I know that in the past I have said to friends and people I know in my life that it made me feel sad that they were made to feel like they needed to change themselves. And that's not helpful because at the end of the day, if you had that surgery, it's that's you. That's how you are now. And I, I think that it's it's kind of sucky on me to comment about how I feel about what someone else has done with their body because I don't like it. I wouldn't like that if somebody said it to me. So I think acknowledging that it's important that we, we sort of steer away from having opinions about what people are or are not allowed to do with their bodies, mm-hmm. but be very mindful of the fact that if we know that people like Martha Stewart, like, you know, um, any celebrity influencer um, is, is creating a narrative for that person, which is you're okay, but you could be better with this Botox, with yeah. this whatever. At 22 years of age, you should literally just be worrying about whether or not you've got sunscreen on. Yeah. That's it. I think, yeah, and again, I, I don't want to be shaming the procedure because everyone's choice, but I just think when there's, if you're now an influencer and you have that public platform, do you owe your audience a transparency? This is why I'm getting it. And this is why I feel the way that I do. And I don't want to say everyone's getting it, but like when it's a paid partnership, I'm just feeling like so conflicted about it. Mm. No? I think that, I think that there's probably, I think that you can probably divide those emotions into, it makes me feel uh, defensive because I then go, is that, is it me? Do I, do I need this? Is this for me? I feel like I thought I was okay the way that I am. So that kind of defensive um, hurt sense of like shame and, and your ego being deflated and then also a frustration that that this is a thing, like how did we get here? Why are we still talking about people's faces as if they're a problem? Such a weird thing. And then I guess the third thing of being pissed off that if this is a real, like if this is an actual problem, if, if this is something that people need to do about it, why are we having it advertised to us by someone who potentially doesn't really understand the ramifications? What's the long-term data? Like do they, they've been paid to talk about this, but do they actually know what this might do to them in the future? You know, what research has been, you know, so a frustration with the industry combined with that personal feeling of, of unease and despair. And then I guess the feminist aspects or the the parts of it that we come to through being aware of the fact that our bodies are not the most valuable and important thing about who we are as a person and what we have to contribute to the world and to society and I just think 
for me, someone who's 22, I think about what I was like when I was 22. Mm. I was a foolish person uh, who didn't make good choices all the time and who potentially didn't understand. I didn't know what I didn't know about things that people told me. I just was like, oh, really? And I think that the idea that we could pay someone to tell people who are listening to them with whom they have influence uh, to buy or pay for uh, preventative measures to stop your face from looking older than it does right now makes me feel like sad and yeah despair a little bit because I think it's beautiful to see someone who's whose face shows that they've lived a wonderful life or you know but also it's it's okay to look however I think that idea of this messaging around I'm 22 and I'm getting this procedure done so that I can not age or not visually age um makes me feel like but why don't you want to look like you know the people that have come before you like I think there's some really powerful ideas around I had a great conversation with um my friend Adam who appeared on the episode of Insight that I was on he was talking about how he used to worry about his nose and he thought his nose was too big and he was going to get a cosmetic um procedure done to get his nose changed and then when he traveled overseas and met some of his family he saw he looked around and he's like oh this isn't just about me. This is part of who I am. This is part of where I come from. This this facial feature and the way that I look isn't just about me. And I do think that there is a real there's a real sadness in the idea that young people don't want to grow up to look like their grandmothers or their mm. grandfathers. Yeah. When did you realize? Uh, and I'm keen to touch on your journey throughout your thirties, your relationship with your body, and the concept of aging. But when did you realize, like, you know, weight loss and this ideal of thinness or whatever are healthy? Like, that is not the key to success. Do you remember a particular moment when you were just like, it's like almost that record scratching sound? Like, hang on, yeah. like, just flip it back. This isn't it. Do you do you recall that? I think a real moment in time for me was, you know, being part of when I when I I've, I have a child and he's turning six um, this year, and I think I was still very deep in the belief of like my body being smaller was better when I felt pregnant with him, and then you know you have this little person that you're taking care of and you become friends with other mothers whose child is the same like their child is the same age as your child and you go through what is easily one of the most stormy and terrifying periods of your life. You just, you are literally adrift. You have no idea what's going on (laughs) and you're clinging on to either these friendships, these relationships, if you're lucky to have them. And also to the person that you thought you were or that you were before you became a parent. And for me, I think a real, I don't know if I can particularly point at a light bulb or a record scratch moment, But I think coming to that understanding and suddenly having it crystallise for me that if I didn't wake up to myself and go, I am not, I'm not here to pay bills and stay thin, like my contribution is about raising a good person and being a good person. Um, I get so emotional when I talk about this. Um, If I, if I'm not raising a good person, then like I went through all of this and I struggled through all of this for what? And I want my son to be a person who respects other people's bodies, who respects consent and respects what people can do and what they have to contribute and who they are, not what they look like. 
Man, you just gave me the uh, the title to the podcast. I'm not here to pay bills and stay thin. Like oh. mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just yeah, it's just that you all consuming idea that more money and being thin is what like we're all striving towards. My God, you know, I think if you've ever had a really frightening moment in your life where you're like, this is it, I'm gonna die, um, which I feel like if you've ever you know um, walked on the streets in Sydney and had to cross the road, you like, you've had one of those moments in traffic here. <laughs> Spares me. On the um, daily. <laughs> on the daily. Um, you know, or if you've ever had a, a moment where you've just thought, fuck, you know, everything in my life is coming straight up to, you know, um, that flush, flush before your eyes. You don't think, shit, I wish I had a bigger bank balance. You don't think, oh, but lucky I fit into these size whatever pants. <laughs> You're thinking, I haven't done enough. I haven't seen enough, Mm. you know? Yeah, Yeah, that's straight facts. And, you know, I read, um, you know, obviously did my research before we jumped on here. And one article about you, April, opened. It was like speaking to April is like a masterclass on how to become a better person, which I think is a credit to you because like that is, you know, for someone to have that experience and what you bring to conversations, huge credit. I'm curious to know, you know, like, Who's made you want to be a better person? And I'm, I mean, I'm instantly thinking of your of your of your son. Like, but is there yeah. anyone else that kind of pops up for you? Yeah, I think you know he's the main guy. He's he's the one. Um, I think also like this is going to sound so corny, but I'm putting it out there. I just think about how I felt about myself as a kid, and I'm like, she deserves better. I am so emotional today. My God. Hey, like, I'm just, okay. <laughs> I'm like, oh, um, I, yeah, I just think we all should have been so much kinder to ourselves. And especially like in our age bracket, right? We're, we're in a very special time where we're adult enough to see that and look at that and feel all the feelings about that and get some therapy about that. <laughs> get a little help. <laughs> Not just me, I hope. No. Um, and and I think that we're in this wonderful period where we have the ability to change this for ourselves. I mean, it's never too late. It's never too late. But I think you're uniquely gifted the opportunity to reevaluate what you thought was true when you turned 30. Uh, and I think as a parent, I became a parent in my 30s, I'm about, you know, I'm a couple of years away from leaving my 30s and these have been the best years to be like, okay, I know what I want and I know what's important to me and I think being a better person means being a better person to me, for me, um, and that I'm responsible for that and nobody else. Yeah, I love that. I think that's so important to highlight being a better person to myself. That is huge because that does have like a, a domino effect on, you know, again, how you treat yourself is, you know, reflect. it's like the relationship, like how you're meant to love somebody if you can't even love yourself, like RuPaul. Thank yeah. you. you mentioned earlier toxic positivity and even toxic productivity, I guess, in the scope of girl bossing. I'm curious to know, is there such a thing as toxic not toxic confidence, but is it okay to not be confident all the time? Do you have, do you feel an expectation from others that you always have to be confident in your advocacy space? Do you have your days where you're like, fuck, I feel like shit and I don't feel confident. Like, is it okay to not be confident all the time? Yeah. And I think you, you've kind of taught you, you know, the, the toxic productivity relates directly to that. Cause I think that's about feeling worth and value. Right. And so those, those negative mindsets around, you're not doing enough. 
you should do it the way that someone else would do it. You know, um, I had a really great conversation with my friend Nick because I was feeling really deflated and very, um, you know, I, I was really proud of the segment that went to air with the project and then I was just seeing a lot of sort of, it felt a little subtweety out there. It felt a little bit like people were talking while I was standing right there, you know, because the thing is when you when you're in the you wade into the comment section, you know, of a place that you expect to see some potentially friendly conversation. Obviously we're avoiding the comment sections of, of news outlets that wanna spin the stories, but feeling a bit deflated and a bit defeated by the fact that I I just what I was reading or the subtext of what was being said felt like April could have done more. She could have gone harder. She should have gone in there and said this, this, this. If I was her, I would have said this. Okay, but you weren't there and you're not me. And it, I, and like, also this is an edit. No. Like there's so much that was left, right? Right. And you don't want that's to sound like me off when people commentate. Like, well, but you, you don't want to be that person that's like, well, you don't get it because you're like, you don't, you've never been on TV before because <laughs> I had never been on TV until I had been on TV. So <laughs> how the hell would I know? But I think that idea of that, that, that toxic belief that um, you should just go in, you know, guns blazing, always being super sure of yourself. You know, there is a difference between confidence and arrogance. And I think the idea that people will say, well, I'm going to cosplay as confident by being arrogant, that doesn't, the math does not math on that. Like we do not, we do not benefit from people being like, I am stoic and I am unmovable, immovable, in my opinion, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm big, you're small, you know, like that, that is not helpful. And I think that people who work super hard, oh, sweep is for the week, oh, you got 24 hours in every day, blah, 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 blah. That's not useful because we're all just doing our best. Being on this silly little rock in 2023, it's a Rotating, lot. Rotating, floating rock. <laughs> it's a lot and it's not useful to be unable to sometimes go do you know what I am just gonna say okay okay and move on and just leave leave that argument leave that conversation to itself you know leave that issue it can be really exhausting to advocate actively on a daily basis people sending me things you should speak about this honey a shush who are you why are you I've never spoken to you before why are you here messaging me telling me what I should do um but also Sometimes it's not for me. I think we've seen recently some conversations around important topics um, like drug decriminalisation where we've seen people working on that topic and in that conversation for decades and you can't wade into conversations about important issues, especially issues that affect disproportionately affect marginalised communities. And whether you're part of that community or not, but especially if you're not, um, it's important that you acknowledge sometimes your voice is not the one that needs to be heard. I will mm -hmm. often share things on my Instagram and, and with no caption. Like in my stories, I'll repost something. I say nothing. There's a reason for that. I'm a very loud person. I have a lot of opinions. You will never catch me staying silent if I have a thought that I really want to share. However, sometimes I'm just like, someone else should read this. I don't need to say anything over the top of this. I can simply be like, read this. Here you go. And I think that it's important to know, um, is it is it useful, you know, to be able to look at whether you're needed in that conversation. Speaking up is different to speaking over the top of people and I try to really be clear with myself about which thing I'm doing and I think that it's where my frustration lies in the conversations that I see uh, that take place online with, uh, again, slim uh 
usually able-bodied white people, um, usually cisgender people, talking about issues that don't affect them in the same way with a very loud voice. I think that it's important. It's useful for who it's useful for. So if you're a, a slim 30-something white woman with a platform where you are able to talk about body image and the importance of that kind of thing, that will be so helpful for the people who resonate with you and with that. But when it comes time to talk about issues that affect fat, black, queer, trans, disabled, the list goes on, First Nations people, sometimes you can just have a little rest. Just have a little rest. Take that time where your voice is not needed to say, over to you. This is your issue. This is your platform. I think that the my thing has been people like that, and this is, I recognize and acknowledge the importance of the work of people to bring us on a pathway, right? We don't, we don't get from being deeply, deeply involved in diet culture and damaging beliefs about body image to bikinis on billboards. A to B. No, 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 no. We have to go on all of the steps, the whole journey to get there. And there are going to be stopping points. Like if we imagine that, um, you know, the, the journey from hating your body and hating hating fat bodies generally um, to where I feel like I am in my life um, is more of an adventure. It's more of a, it's more of like, a, you know, I'm imagining kind of video games where you level up, you level up, you know, and you think you always think you've met the final boss when you overcome these d- different aspects of what we've been taught to believe about ourselves. And I think that those, those things, you, you have your little sidekick and your sidekick starts off as someone who looks like you, but then you have to, you have to take on more of these, these people, these voices, these opinions, and, and sit with how uncomfortable it makes mm. you to realise that even while you hate some of the things maybe about yourself or while you feel certain kinds of ways about bodies, yours or other people's, that you are actually still someone who experiences privilege, who experiences the benefits of what white supremacy has done to create the, the ideal body image and that you are so much closer to that than other people. And so that's your time to go, oh, it's actually, it's my turn to uplift someone else. It's not, it's not about me all the time. And I say that as someone who I'm in a smaller body than I used to be. I'm a light skinned person of color. Um, You know, I'm a queer person, but I'm in a relationship with a cis person of the opposite gender or, you know, a, a cis man. I'm a cis woman in a relationship with a cis man. And I understand that even while I speak about what I've experienced in terms of oppression, bias, all of that, I still have also experienced significant privilege. So I use that privilege to, I guess, undermine systemic oppression. I use that privilege to say, can we not do this anymore? And I think if I'm the person that people go, oh, yes, you know, we want to listen to you and hear about about." how you feel about damaging television shows or, or um, fitness industry kind of problems and issues, I, I'm like, yes, I want to talk about that because that affected me in a way that I feel is real and significant and I think that it's it's that would be real for you. That would be real for, you mentioned Laura Henshaw earlier, I feel like that would be real for her, for anyone who, who listens to, um, you know, KickPod. I think that it's all of those people will go, oh, that resonates with me so hard. But there's a real responsibility sometimes for people with privilege instead of having a platform 
they need to be a platform for other people to stand yes. on. Yes, that is 100% accurate. And, um, yeah, it's so weird that some people who do follow just can't make that connection or realisation and then it's almost like the more that you do, and I can find it sometimes in my endometriosis advocacy, the more you do, the more people expect, but it's like, I like what I'm doing is if I'm still providing a platform for other people and you're just not reading it in the way that you need to be like, yeah, you know, I'm still doing that work, but it's about their voice and not mine. And I'm just using my platform to help lift that. I don't have to have fucking commentary on every single thing. Cause yeah. like you said, there's some things that my voice doesn't actually might not matter or someone else's is going to be way more impactful. Like, yes. yeah, it's just the expectations can be really um, interesting to yeah. kind of observe. If you've ever, if you've ever been in a real life situation where you've watched, and I'm going to use this example, knowing that there are so many other ways that we could like I, that that this affects people, but this is a, an example from my real life and one that I think will resonate with lots of people. If you've ever been in a meeting, whether that be for your PNC committee or in the work boardroom or anywhere, and you've had to ask someone usually the person with the most privilege in the room, in my case, the, the example I'm imagining is, if you've ever had to ask a white man to, sorry, sorry, this person over here was still talking and I'm just, I'm going to need you to just, can you just wait a second, as politely as you can, that's you exercising your privilege, right? It's That's what it's supposed to be. If you're the person who it's most safe for to say, person with privilege, I'm going to need you to check yourself, person from a marginalised community, please speak on. I would like to hear what you have to say. That's what I am trying to do. I'm trying to be the person that can be like, we're not going to, yeah, we're not going to be letting this I'm person. I have to cut you off. Yeah. It's like, and, and in, you know, I'm not going to let you finish, in fact. Um, <laughs> because whether it be explaining, which for me in that con- like that conversation that I'm imagining as I give that example, that mansplaining where I'm like, that's what that person's trying to say, but you're not letting them talk. And whether that comes from you having a hierarchical position, like I said, you know, whether that comes from you just being the person who is more confident, I think that's where confidence comes in handy, being like, it's okay if the consequences of what I do right now uh, impact me, I can handle the blowback because I experience privilege or because I feel like it's more important to speak up than it is to stay silent. Before we wrap up, I guess my final question for you as, you know, you're still in the the decade of your 30s, what would your advice be to people who are currently navigating this chapter of life, whether it be in relation to how they view their body or how they uh, deal with the concept of aging? What words would you want to share? Because it is, um, it do be a time. It do be a time in our lives. <laughs> it, indeed it do. Uh, I think my advice, you know, when you turn 30, people really start to see you as being an adult. And I think what that actually means can sometimes feel daunting, that amount of responsibility, that amount of almost feeling isolated and no longer being able to rely on the things that you relied on when you were younger. But what's really important to remember is that you're not in it alone. We're all in it together. And I think being someone who has turned 30 uh, about eight years ago, I've had plenty of time to reflect on the value and the beauty of being an older, an elder millennial for one, but an older person in my friendship groups, uh, in my workplace settings, and being able to share with other people the realities of being in your 30s, which sometimes can be, wow, it really is tough to, to grow up 
and have to feel like you have to grow up but you're not in it alone there are always going to be people around you who respect you and see you for who you are and I think if you're youthful you know in a way that makes you feel and seem like the kind of person who is living their best life being 30 or in your 30s can actually be the best years of your life it's like a door opens and you walk in and you go oh I'm starting to really see who I am and I like that person a lot and you find that there's a lot of other people in there you're like oh oh you're like oh and you're here too and you're here too hey I think being 30 is a real it's a banger honestly <laughs> she's lost when I turned 29 I was telling people I was 30 because I knew I could see I was like something good's on the horizon oh so you yeah, were ready for it I was ready I didn't have a crisis I was like let's do this um oh my gosh. and that speaks a lot to the time of life that I was in in terms of the other aspects of my life and I think I I suppose if I wanted to give one really sage piece of advice I would realize that I can't because I'm only 38 and that's still pretty young I haven't really experienced all there is to know but what I would say is if you're worried about turning 30, don't don't worry about it because it doesn't feel older, except in the mornings when your knees go clip. <laughs> That's the only time. Yeah, especially in the peak of Melbourne winter for me. Sheesh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Also, thank you for being, I'm sorry, I made you a soundboard for my own triggering things that have popped up in my 30s, but like things, That's isn't really it weird fun. though? Like you don't, until it happens, like those things that you would have been self-conscious about in your 20s and maybe thought you were past, but then if you see them re-emerge in some way and if they still impact you in your 30s, mm-hmm. it just, I guess, shows like the lasting impact and how bad those things are and we need to just like put them in the bin. (laughs) I I cried because Lululemon, this is so random, Lululemon brought out uh, high-rise flare like athleisure pants, right? And I remember when I was in high school, when I was 14, there was a girl, Jenny, who went to my school and that was when flare-legged exercise pants, black ones, were the rage. Now, they didn't come in my size. I wore boys' black elasticated cuff tracksuit pants, deeply uncomfortable, highly unattractive, all round a bad time. And I got these pants um, from Lululemon as part of like a Mother's Day promo that I worked on on with them. And I was like, oh my God. And you didn't, like, I didn't know. I felt so strongly about how I'd, I'd been excluded by the fashion industry yeah. from something as simple and seemingly irrelevant as exercise pants for PE class. Um, until I put on those flare leg black elastic, like um, high waisted uh, athleisure pants, and I was like, "This literally healed my inner teenage." So you don't don't underestimate the ability for your brain to retain feelings about things, you know, from back in the day. And it's not it's not a bad thing to be like, "I'm going to work through that," and we're lucky because we got to work through it together. Um, <laughs> not this thing, uh, therapy. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, we love it. We love a free session. Um, And yeah, I think that that's really important. And I don't, I think that we shouldn't, it's this idea that we're like, oh, is that like, is that cringe of me to care so much about something? No. Again, our feelings and what we find to be important has been invalidated historically by the patriarchy. Girls care about silly little things. Yeah. And I think 
most of the time those were important things those were taste making things and they were things that were going to change the world we just didn't know it at the time mm. and also side note I didn't know that they were um high-waisted flares because I am so overseeing the low rise so to hear oh that they're high-waisted thank fuck <laughs> I can't oh do God, that again <laughs> I was like I didn't do it then and actually I, I didn't it now. Even, yeah I didn't even do it in the first place so how am I going to do it now hell <laughs> to the no yeah. absolutely not oh man you're a superstar April thank you so much for joining me it was great to chat thank you for having me Bridget I was so excited when you emailed me I was like oh my god if you want to stay connected with April Helene Horton aka the Bodzilla go check out the show notes of this episode I've popped the link to her Instagram and you can also follow figuring out 30 on Instagram just launched a new account there where I'm sharing video clips of the conversations and anything else I want to talk to you about a bit of shit talking random stories whatever it's just a good way if you're enjoying this podcast um, that is how to stay connected with me and of course if you like what you're hearing I say it every bloody episode and I sound like a broken record but this is an entirely independent project just me uh talking editing doing all the things and I obviously love it I pour my heart into it but it is time consuming so any support is greatly appreciated in the form of follows likes reviews ratings and just sharing it with anyone in your life that you think may benefit from figuring out 30 so thank you so much for taking the time to listen I'm Bridget Husswaite figuring out 30 has been created on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I will chat to you next week. Until then. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.